Hey everybody, it's JT. What is on your holiday meal shopping list? Well, I would suggest Painted Hills Natural Beef. It is some of the best beef in the world. And your friends and family will be thanking you for a long time if you serve Painted Hills Natural Beef for your holiday meals. And now you can buy it online just by going to PaintedHillsBeef.com. Use the code BBQNATION at checkout and save yourself 15% on your order. Give Painted Hills Natural Beef a place on your table this holiday season. It's time for Barbecue Nation with JT. So fire up your grill, light the charcoal, and get your smoker cooking. Now, from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, here's JT. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Barbecue Nation. A while back, I had the chance to talk with Jamie Proviance from the Weber Grills Company. It's always fun to talk with Jamie. And so with the 4th of July coming up, the biggest barbecue day of the year, I thought we would share this interview one more time with you. So here is my interview with Jamie Proviance. What if you had over 2,500 recipes, all of them very good, but you had to pay, say, pick about 110 or so to make the all-time top list? How would you do it? Well, we're going to find out. We welcome back to the nation, Jamie Proviance, uh, James Beard award-winning chef and barbecue aficionado, and kind of a fun guy, except when he catches you with a mouthful of Doritos. And um, Jamie and his team have revisited the recipes developed by Weber and uh, have published Weber's greatest hits, and it's kind of fun. So, Jamie, welcome back to Barbecue Nation. Thanks, JT. Great to be back with you ah, and your Doritos. And my Doritos, yes. So, first of all, uh, you know, this is kind of the standard interview question for most most authors. What prompted you to write the book besides money? So, <laughs> Well, <clears throat> it just seemed time. Um, and I was getting a lot of requests for what book should I buy. Um, I've done actually 16 different grilling books and barbecue books. Sure. And so a lot of people say, hey, so what else should I get for my dad or my brother or myself? And I thought, you know what? Why don't I just take all the best recipes from all those books and put them in one place, and then that just becomes the answer. Get Weber's Greatest Hits. Well, I think you got something there. because, well, And it's fun, too, because we're going to talk about some, some help you got from uh, one of the board members and uh, a few things. Mike Kempster, he's got some cute stories in there. And um, like carrying a pig through the Chicago O'Hare airport. But that's a different story. (laughs) When and you break the book down, which I was glad to see. Um, Not that I'm a critic. I'm not. But, you know, you grilling greatness, getting started, grilling like an expert. You kind of give still, even though this is your greatest hits album, so to speak, you still give some great tips at the front on how to prepare and what to have handy, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's important. I've heard from people that they really like that information. And, you know, you and I have spent a lot of hours at the grill, so some of this stuff is just internalized. But we got to remember there are always new folks who are grilling for the first time. Yes. And sometimes just the recipe by itself is not enough to get them successful. They've got to know how to start the fire, how to clean up the grill, how to set up different zones of heat. And so that's, that's why I include that. In every book. Well, I think that's wise. And, I, and I'm actually glad to see it, too, because like you, I get asked a lot of questions, you know, even by friends. Hey, what do you do? What do you do? How do you handle this? And, and when I can point to one of your books and say, 
you know, just read this. I know it's easier to talk to me, but if you really want to get this embedded in your noggin, mm-hmm. you know, read Jamie's book here. And it kind of, I think that really instills that so they don't have to ask us those questions anymore. <laughs> well, hopefully. Yeah. Um, the other reason is that, I, you know, I teach classes a lot and it's clear to me that a lot of people don't actually know this information and they kind of just wing it at the grill. Um, they, they don't preheat the grill. They don't clean the grate. Uh, they cook everything over a raging hot fire. So there's just a lot of evidence out there that <clears throat> this sort of repetition is actually useful. Well, it is, especially if you call the Tualatin Valley Fire Department close to where I live. Um, they will tell you that uh, you're, what you just said is absolutely correct. People don't clean their grills. They don't take care of them and they, they fire them up and they they turn it on blast furnace level and then they walk away and then there's usually some problems. So anyway, let's get into your recipes here. How did what was the process to select these, Jamie? Well, it started with a, a big survey. So there are a lot of folks who have registered at Weber.com, and many of them have the books. They know, you know, sure. They know who's who's bought the books, and they said, "Okay, tell us what your favorites are." Um, and we collected that data, and there were some overwhelming, overwhelmingly popular ones. You know, that just a lot of people came up with, and that was the basis of the book. Um, and then. I I filled it out a little bit with some of my personal favorites, making sure that we didn't forget those. Uh, right. And then some folks at Weber, like like the fellow you mentioned, Mike Kempster, and um, just some other senior executives chimed in, and we came up with this this list. There's still controversy going on. People are still arguing <laughs> about why didn't you put this in, or you know why did you put that in, but. Uh, this is overwhelmingly uh, the consensus that these are the greatest hits. Well, and one of the things I like is we all can get carried away um, on on our favorites and, and toying and tinkering with recipes and all that. But when you were talking earlier about people don't um, particularly, you know, heat their grills, they, they don't know. But when you in your book here, when you've got... Uh, a really solid uh, recipe for like uh, a New York uh, and a ribeye and a burger. I'm always surprised at how many people can really ruin hamburgers on the grill. <laughs> at this point, I'm not surprised because I've yeah. seen it done so many times. Um, <clears throat> so that's why I have more burger recipes in here. I, I was actually surprised that, that there were so many basic recipes. I thought that people were going to be gravitating toward like my the gourmet elaborate sure. chefy recipes, but the real favorites were the ones that you do on a, on a Thursday night when you've got 20 minutes to get dinner together, uh, including burgers yeah, of all kinds. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, I'm doing an event this weekend for 400 of my closest friends. Yes. And, and, um, and I've got a good crew that works with me when we do that. But between that and the radio show, last night I had to do several scripts for the radio show and this and that. You talk about quick. I had some smoked pork chops, two ears of corn, um, and uh, a couple of red potatoes. And I kind of whipped dinner together in about oh, less than 20 minutes. Because my wife was, my wife works in the education field, and she was working too. So you do have to get adept at, at 
you know, putting a meal together in a short amount of time <laughs> without without using all the, you know, the eccentricities that people like us try to try to whip out there once in a while. How I mean, how has the book been received so far, Jamie? It's just I know it's just hitting the racks, you know, in this last short period of time. Father's Day, you know, it's coming up. People um, uh, I would recommend it. It sure is a hell of a good book for Father's Day. But how's the book being received? Well, I'm really happy to say it's it's been much better, even better received than I thought. Um, I, I figured greatest hits, you know, it's going to be popular. But we're about a month in, and I think we've already got four printings. So that's oh. a really good sign um, that the book is selling well. The reviews are really good, you know, on Amazon and other places. I've been doing some dinners around the country where we go to a restaurant, and for that night, the menu is all recipes out of the book. And those have been really fun um, and and popular, and people have said really nice things. Maybe it's just because I'm in the room. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I've just heard a lot of positive feedback on the book because it's it's a really good collection of recipes. It's it's beautiful. I know we can't see it on the radio here, but uh, I hope people will pick it up and flip through it because the photography is pretty stunning. Everything, all the recipes are are from the the history. You know, over the last. 15, 20 years, sure. but we re-photographed everything. So it looks really fresh and new and modern. And uh, I think it's gorgeous. Well, it's a grabbing cover. Um, you know, it's red with the black and then the gold says greatest hits. And of course your name is prevalent at the bottom on the Weber logo, but it's the, the, the cover being a, you know, the kettle grill, which Weber is known for, mm -hmm. um, you know, to do that. I, I think it's, it does grab you. I mean, it really does. When I opened the box and got this out, I thought, yeah, this is pretty cool. I think they got something here. Um, <laughs> um, we're we're going to take a break here in just a second. But when we come back, we're going to delve a little more into uh, some of the recipes and the help that Jamie got from Mike Kempster. Some of his stories are funny, but we want to uh, we want to get into some of the, the how to's in some of these recipes. So we'll be back on Barbecue Nation in just a couple of minutes. Don't go away. Jamie Provides is going to stick around with, for the whole hour with us. How about that? Before we take a break, I want to share some weird news with you. If you are in Malmo, Sweden, and like odd museum exhibits, stop by the Disgusting Food Museum. From September through December this year, the museum is featuring strange alcoholic beverages from around the world, including gin made from ants from the United Kingdom, Korean wine made with human poop, whale testicle-flavored beer, and smoked feces from Iceland sheep. <laughs> uh, we have found the strangest, most interesting, and challenging alcohol types in the world, said museum director Andreas Ahrens. Some of the exhibited alcohols showcase the different types of homemade alcohols going back thousands of years, while others are a bit experimental, made by local brewers. Poop wine is a traditional Korean remedy, while the strongest beer in the world is most recent concoction from scotland most beer has about five percent alcohol by volume but the new scotch beer boasts a 57 percent alcohol by volume anti-gin the world's first gin to be made with insects is also on display in the exhibit that's in malmo sweden if you just happen to be going there we'll be back with more barbecue nation after this monday morning you showed the fight
Hey everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, I'm the host here of Barbecue Nation on the Envision Radio Networks. Um, like I said before, I've had a chance several times to talk with Jamie Proviance. Uh, this is one I did, oh, several months ago, and I thought you would enjoy it with the holiday coming up. Jamie and his book. This is a gorgeous book, um, and it's it's pretty cool. It's only 25 bucks, and it's very much worth the 25 bucks. When you went through these recipes with with your team, how, I mean, did you leave them all exactly the same as you found them, or did you tweak them a bit? Pretty much left them all the same, with a few exceptions. Uh, one of them being, for example, in the seafood department, it was a recipe I did years ago, I think in Weber's Real Grilling, for a sea bass with a roasted pepper vinaigrette. Mm-hmm. Really nice recipe, but it just turns out that we've completely overfished sea bass now, so it's probably not a good idea to call for that. So we tried it with a new fish. I think I call it used halibut, and it worked out great. So made that kind of switch. But otherwise, they're pretty much the same um, because there was no need to change them. I mean, people said, we love it just the way it is. So it would be kind of arrogant of me, I think, to say, oh, I'm going to make it even better, or I'm going to change it up for my taste. Sure. Uh, they're, they're greatest hits for a reason. So we left them as is. So let me ask you this. I mean, uh, I'm guilty as hell as this. Do you constantly tinker with your recipes at home? Oh, constantly. I'll I'll admit something to you that I probably shouldn't, which is that I never follow my recipes. Ah, there you go. I cannot get through a recipe without adjusting it. Sometimes it's just because I, I don't have that particular ingredient handy. Sometimes because I'm lazy. Sometimes I'm just in a mood for try something different. So to me... Although I write recipes for a living, uh, they're just starting points. You know, I I riff from there sure. often with my recipes and everyone else's recipes as well. I just think recipes are, are guidelines. Now, if it's, and I was told a long time ago by uh, some very good family cooks that, you know, you can do whatever you want uh, on the grill, on the stovetop and all that. But when you're baking, you have to be a little more scientific because it's more chemistry than than what we're doing on top or in the oven or on the grill and um do you feel that same way you know i've heard that line about baking and you have to be really careful about measuring things and Mm -hmm. i don't completely buy into it i mean i'm not a great baker but you know if you want to flavor something with vanilla versus almond or you want to uh you want to add blueberries instead of cherries it all works sure Um, the leavening agents are particularly important. Uh, so that's that's one extreme. In the grilling world, it's wildly flexible. Yes. As, as you know, right? Yeah. Um, so you, you suit your taste. Um, if you want to switch up the herbs, if you want to add a few other ingredients to a marinade, uh, whatever you like. I suppose what you have to be really careful about is the timing and the level of heat. Mm-hmm. That's where I think people get in trouble. You say, you know, they say, oh, well, it's, you know, the grill's hot and that's good enough for me. Well, actually, there's a big difference between like 500 degrees and 300 degrees. And certain things do better <laughs> at 500 than they do at 300. Uh, so 
don't go crazy with that and start freewheeling. Well, and I get I get kind of nuts sometimes because you know you 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 get to talking to people and they'll say. Well, you know, I pulled that steak out of the freezer and it was frozen all the way through. It had been in there for three weeks, and I just threw it on the grill, and in, and in four minutes on a side, it was perfect. <laughs> really? <laughs> Can you show me how you did that, you know? Yeah. And, I think as you get further and further away from the meal, you know, the steak gets better and better in their minds. Uh yeah. I can't imagine cooking a frozen steak and having any kind of great success. No, but I mean, that's just an example. But I've heard that more than once, and I've actually been to a couple of dinners where people have done that. And I was like, okay, I'm glad I got good choppers in my mouth because this is <laughs> this is a tough deal. What, what do you, when you're making your recipes, and I know these are, you know, this is the greatest hits, but when you're in recipe development mode, Jamie, what stimulates you to get the idea? To, to say, you know, I'm going to take this trout and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z with it, or I'm going to take this piece of lamb or, or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. But what stimulates you to, to, to start tinkering and toying and experimenting? Well, a lot of it comes from my travels, actually. That's one of the perks of the job is I get to travel a lot on book tour, and uh, I do it on just on vacations, of course, for fun. And very often I'll taste things in restaurants or I'll, uh, I'll see ingredients in a supermarket or um, I'll, I'll see something that I like. I mean, I'll give you an example. I was out to dinner a couple nights ago and somebody was serving grilled asparagus with a charred onion dressing. And I just liked the dressing. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably riff off of that. And I won't serve it with grilled asparagus. I might use it for some shrimp or maybe sure. some chicken kebab or something. But it usually starts with some little combination of flavors that I just want to riff off of. Yeah. And it goes from there. And sometimes it's a success immediately. And I'm like, boom, got it. This is a great recipe. Let's publish it. And sometimes it's a complete clunker. You know, <laughs> and I'll either play with it and try to fix it or just discard it and, and move on. But for me, I, I got food on the brain and I'm constantly paying attention to food wherever it is. And whenever I see something that seems to work, I'll think, okay, how can I put my own spin on that? Yes. Yeah. I've done that a million times. I think anybody that's kind of into cooking in a serious way doesn't even have to be barbecuing. You see something and you kind of wonder like, why I couldn't combine those two and do something like this, you know, blah, blah, blah. I always remember George Carlin saying, if you nail two sticks together that have never been nailed together before, somebody will buy it. And I've kind of used that as a mantra for my life. It's like, well, we'll just create this and see what happens, you know, and I do it with food all the time. And I know you do. And I, and I, and I love it to do that. It's just great. It's fun to be creative like that. Uh, it really is to be able to do this for a living is pretty remarkable. They didn't have this job at the high school job fair, you know, like be Weber's master griller, but somehow it just happened. And, and I get to be creative like this and there you go. Hang out with people like you. It's great fun. It is great fun. We'll be back with more barbecue nation and Jamie Proviance in just a couple of minutes. Stay with us. Won't you? This is the right thing. How can I 
If you're enjoying JT and his show, come check out my podcast, Around the House with Eric G, where we talk home improvement and design right here where you catch this podcast. Head to AroundTheHouseOnline.com. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation. Before we get back to my interview that I did a while back with Jamie Proviance, a couple of things. We'd like to thank our friends at Painted Hills Natural Beef for supporting our shows here. And also, if you'd like to email us, it's bbq at salempdx.com. It's bbq at salempdx.com. And if you'd like to go to our um, SoundCloud page and look at the archive of shows, it's barbecue nation with jt how's that facebook is also barbecue nation with jt now let's get back to my interview with jamie proviance from weber barbecue company i want you to tell us how how this happened some of kempster's stories in there especially the one about carrying a pig through o'hare <laughs> yeah well that's you know this is a weber book and and that's part of the weber story uh mike kempster uh, has been with the company since the early 70s, and he was in charge of uh, sales and marketing for a long time, now runs the publishing program. But um, you remember back in the 70s, the luau was a big thing. Oh, yeah. Um, and so Weber was trying to promote the grills by using luau's all over the country, and they had one going in St. Louis. And the deal was usually that a couple of guys at Weber would get a pig, and they would uh, drive to some market and, uh, you know, some area and throw this luau and have the grills and all the smoke and people would have a great time with the, the lays and the grass skirts and whatnot. Anyway, what happened one time is both guys thought the other was going to pick up the pig. They got to St. Louis. They realized they had no pig. So they called Mike Kempster in Chicago and said, man, we, we need a pig. Um, and he went to the market. All he'd get was a frozen pig at that point. He thought that he would actually take it to O'Hare and just check it as luggage and not get on the plane. Turns out he was too late to check it as luggage because of traffic or whatever. So he ended up having to buy the only seat available was a first class. <laughs> um, so there he is lugging this frozen pig in a duffel bag. You can imagine that scene through O'Hare onto the plane and setting it down in first class. And that's how he got the pig to St. Louis for the luau. You know, if he did that today, it would be making one of those stories on Fox News or something about that. <laughs> right. There would be pictures all over the Internet yeah. of this guy, and he'd probably be put in jail immediately. Oh, yeah. You've got America's top five in the book, and this was done through, you know, voting and, and what have you. Out of those top five, and we'll we'll go over them in this segment here, but what's your favorite? Well, one of them is steak, which to me is still pretty much the most gratifying thing that I can put in my mouth and enjoy. So um, there you go. It's there are others are right up there, you know, burgers, chicken, sausages, ribs. They're all great. But when I'm fairly short on time and I want total satisfaction, I go for a steak, particularly a ribeye. That's my favorite. Is that your favorite? Yeah. 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 Um, and we were talking about burgers before. You know, the, the, that has changed. When Weber started, you were talking about the luau, and I remember growing up, my dad could just burn the hell out of anything on his old grill. It was it was a charcoal grill, but it was a very shallow one, and so he always got it way too hot, you know. Oh. And he would before charred chicken became popular, we were having it at the Tracy household. 
So, so, um, you know, if you were going to give some tips to people besides obviously buying the book about how to do burgers, you've got Father's Day and Fourth of July coming up in the next uh, couple three weeks. Tell them how Jamie would do it. Okay. Well. One of the recipes in the book is actually Weber's ideal cheeseburger. So that goes into all the detail. I don't know that I have time to go through it in its entirety. But, you know, basically, let's see, the most important things are, number one, the meat. Um, do not buy what they call hamburger meat at the store, all right? Um, and do not buy anything that's been pre, um, pre-compressed uh, into patties because, one of the keys to a great burger is the, the juiciness. Um, and actually, when a patty has been compressed so tightly before you grill it, it's very hard for it to be juicy. It tends to be kind of crumbly and dry. Mm -hmm. So you want to be doing the packing yourself with good quality ground meat. I like chuck or sirloin. Yeah. If you can get something else like brisket or you know skirt steak, great, but that's unlikely unless you're in a really nice butcher shop. But chuck and sirloin are really good. Make sure it's kind of loosely um, packaged so that when you go to pack it, it's, it's not going to be too tight. Make it about a three-quarter of an inch thick. If you do it much thicker than that, you're going to risk the thing burning on the outside before it's done on the inside. You want, as you say, kind of a medium, medium-high heat, you know, not super high, um, and it takes eight or nine minutes. So, you know, yeah. f four, four and a half minutes per side. Um, and the key is to only turn it once. A lot of people, particularly with burgers, they turn it, I don't know, five or six times. You know, they, as soon as they put it down the grate, they're in there within 30 seconds. Oh, I got to turn these. I got to flip these. I got to check it. And that does not work well for you. Um, because when you put the meat down initially, it sticks to the grate a little bit. And if you try to turn it early, a lot of that stuff is still stuck. And then the burger looks sort of torn and you, <laughs> you've left some of that charred meat on the grate. Uh, the fat starts to pour into the charcoal. You get some flare ups. It's just the beginning of a nightmare. So um, put the lid down. That'll knock out most flare-ups, right, because it limits the amount of oxygen. It'll keep the grate nice and hot, which is important for creating that crust on the outside. And just let the burgers go, you know. Walk away for a couple minutes. Have a beverage. Chat with your friends. Come back in four minutes. Turn it once. And, uh, and then resume your activities of, of drinking and carrying on. Uh, do not press down on the burger. That's another common mistake where they just smash it with a spatula. That'll push out a whole bunch of wonderful fat and juice. Uh, if you're worrying about the burger kind of puffing up, which it tends to do sometimes, uh, before you put it on the grill, make a little indentation in the center. Just put your thumb down in there or the back of a spoon, and when that little well will fill in slowly as the burger cooks, and you'll end up with something that's nice and flat as opposed to something that looks more like a meatball. So, um, and then you won't have the need or the inclination to smash it down with your spatula. And, th and that's it. You know, then it's just kind of a matter of how you're going to embellish it, you know, what sort of toppings you're going to have on there. And, of course, we can talk about seasoning the meat itself. That's, that's a nice option. Um, but 
I keep it pretty simple. I think a burger is such an iconic thing. It's it's popular for a reason, so let it be. Um, I do have some other variations, though, in the book of like, you know, a turkey burger and a fish burger and a lamb burger. So you do have options. But for me, a beef burger should just be a beef burger. I think a beef burger should be a beef burger, and I also think a beef burger should have plenty of fat in it. It Obviously, if you saw me in person, you would understand why I say that. But the point is, is that I don't understand when people, there's a couple things I don't understand about hamburgers that people do. <clears throat> One is they cook it till it's beyond chewing on a Reebok. You know, it's just, yeah. there's no flavor. There's no juice. There's no nothing. It's just dark brown stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and you can put all the cheese slices you want on there, but that's not going to change the fact that it's still dark brown stuff. So when you eat the thing, there's no flavor to the actual meat. There's just you're, you're tasting the condiments and the seasonings and the spread. So I, I don't understand that when people do that with them. And then I don't understand also when people are making creating burgers like you were just talking about, which I do. But, you know, they, they do keep flipping them. Uh, you know, they don't even let the thing get hot. Uh and, you know, and they squish the juice out of it. I mean, if you want to do that, put a put a flat grill on your barbecue. Right. Because we've got them now. Every, I mean, it, Weber's got them. Everybody's got them. Put a grill on there and just squish the hell out of them if you want to do that. I guess, you know, if you want to get something that's made down at your local burger shack that's, you know, a four-to-one patty or a three-to-one patty, um, there you go. You do that. But if you want a really good homemade hamburger that's really tasty and juicy, do it, do it Jamie's way. <sighs> There, I'm off my soapbox. Well, yeah, I think a lot of people are scared about serving undercooked burgers, and so that's why they overcook them tremendously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's why I write cookbooks, is, is if you just follow the recipe, you, you get that sweet spot where it's perfectly safe, but it's not dry, like you say. Yeah, absolutely. A little more news before we go to break there. Two thieves posing as truck drivers from the same fake company pulled off two heists in Alberta, that's in Canada, and netted them about seven hot tubs and a quarter of a million dollars worth of beef. Alberta police are on the lookout for a couple of bandits who made off with some hot tubs and the 230000 worth of beef in two separate heists at, in a plot that seems to be ripped straight from the episode of the uh, Trailer Park Boys. An unmarked semi pulled up to a JBS meatpacking factory in Brooks, a small town about two hours east of Calgary on the morning of August 30th. And according to police, a tall, heavyset, balding guy, yeah, that could be me, and identif identified himself as a trucker for the company, Transport Pascal Charland um, from Quebec. Hmm. Uh, he was pulling a large refrigerated trailer, and he said he was there for the beef. So they gave it to him, and uh, $230,000 worth. Go figure. <laughs> um, anyway, they're still looking for him out there, and they're still looking for the hot tubs. And good luck to him up there. We will be back in uh, just a couple minutes here on Barbecue Nation and wrap up the show with Jamie Provides.
everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to the nation on the Envision Radio Networks. Let's finish up my interview with Jamie Proviance. A lot of creative stuff that I think people don't, you know, they don't think about. Like you were talking in last segment, quick dinner, um, a steak or a pork chop or whatever, even, you know, vegetables on the grill. Do that, some fruit and something to drink. There's your dinner. Um, but if you take your time and go through this cookbook, I think you're going to have a lot of fun with it out there. And I know Jamie had a hell of a lot of fun putting it together. I did. I, I ate very well. <laughs> and I, I have the waistline to show for it. Thank you very much. Welcome to my world. Welcome to my world. I like that when they give you a food allotment. <clears throat> that's, that's always kind of fun. So what, I mean, truly, what was your greatest pleasure in doing all this? I mean, the the chance to go through all the recipes for the last forty five years, or what was it? What was the personal, um, um, what do I want to say? Personal uh, motivation? Or oh, that's the wrong word. Mm. You know what I'm getting? I know at. what you you know what you're saying. Um, to me, it was uh, it was like looking through a photo album, um, going back. Not quite to my childhood in this case, but just kind of reliving those really great experiences. Uh, and then, you know, I cooked all the food again for the photography. And yeah. it was just a, it was a reminder over the course of a couple of months shooting all this stuff. Uh, I I kind of witnessed how grilling has evolved over time because when I got started with Weber 20 years ago, it was pretty much all about just burgers and steaks and chops. And then... Uh, slowly things started to creep in. We got a little bit more creative. There was the, the pizza thing, and then people started doing appetizers, and then, you know, desserts. That was a shocking idea. How could you possibly be doing desserts? And <laughs> started out very simple with, like, grilled pineapple or peaches, and, and then we worked into, like, um, well, I have a, a, a grilled pineapple upside-down cake, and I do, like, a little chocolate molten cake on the grill. and so. Anyway, the the whole process of making of the book was just a reminder of how grilling has evolved, uh, what stayed popular throughout, and what's kind of new and interesting today. Well, and I think one of the things, Jamie, is that you could use the, every recipe in this book on any type of grill, pretty much. I mean, when mm -hmm. you think about what Weber produces, not just the, you know, the big kettle, uh, charcoal kettle ones, but, you know, they have gas grills and and uh, lump charcoal grills. They have all kinds of stuff now. And I think you could do this on any of those grills. And that's what kind of makes it fun, too. A person shouldn't look at this and say, I wonder if I could do this on mine at home. Yeah, I think so. Unless you've just got a hot plate on a 50-gallon propane tank, I think you're probably going to be okay. Now, if you have a grill with a lid, uh, and preferably at least two burners or the room to have charcoal um, set so that you have both direct and indirect heat, you can do anything in the book. 
I have you ever had to cook with a blowtorch? Just something, something. <laughs> just a creme brulee. That's about it. Yeah. Well, just uh, something irreverent there. But I actually uh, did one time because the power went out and all that jazz, and so we uh, had to cook with a blowtorch. That was kind wow. of kind of interesting. What's your favorite recipe in the book? Away from the steaks. Go away from the steaks. We. Oh yeah. Well. Yeah, I did a recipe last night, actually, that my family loves, and I do too. It's a, a beer-marinated chicken taco. Um, really good, kind of a weird marinade uh, with dark Mexican beer and sesame oil, garlic, and oregano with some salt and pepper uh, on some boneless, skinless chicken thighs. And you grill those up and put them in some warm grilled tortillas with some guacamole. It's just really, really gratifying. Um, so it's not the most elaborate recipe, but it's the kind of stuff that I like to serve my friends and family. And I should mention, actually, if anyone's interested in that, that's one of the recipes that's on a website, uh, greatesthits.weber.com. We put eight or 10 recipes up there and a preview of the book. So if you want to try that, and I recommend you do, you know, check out that website. No, we will do that. We will post that too. Um, on all the places where you post those things, you know, right. Facebook and the website and the SoundCloud and all that. So it's pretty good. Jamie Provides, thank you, my friend, for being with us today. And um, we shall have you back on again. It's always great, JT. Thanks a lot. All right. Before we get out of here this week, I want to tell you about uh, some shipments of beef that will be heading not from, but to the United States for the first time in more than 20 years. After three processing sites were this week given a go-ahead to export, uh, the first containers of beef, and this is all coming from the UK, are now being prepared and due to arrive in the U.S. in the coming weeks. The businesses are based in Northern Ireland and Wales and now have been listed by the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Food Safety Inspection Service. Give it the thumbs up. The U.S. announced plans to lift the 24-year-old ban on British beef imports in March following a three-week inspection during the summer of 2019. The U.K. government has welcomed the move, saying it opened the door for an estimated 66 million uh, pounds of export opportunities for farmers over the next five years. British beef had been banned in the U.S. since 1996 following an outbreak of uh, bovine spongiform encephalopathy. Yeah, mad cow disease. Or if you wanted to know that. Um, so, yeah, we're getting this Irish beef. Comes with its own little bottle of Irish bitters. Uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of Barbecue Nation. Uh, hope you all have a great week. Take care and um, be nice.
Barbecue Nation is produced by JTSD LLC Productions in association with Envision Networks and Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.